From Mushroom, this is some of my best work. I'm music and culture journalist Jane Rocker. Bigger and Linda have been a mainstay of Australian music and continued to record music over the last few years in and out of Melbourne's lockdown. They've chosen the song 99 Years as some of their best work. It was written with Paul Kelly and released in 1994. The story behind the song is simple and quite funny. Paul asked Vicar what was going on in her life at the time and the lyrics came quickly after that. Vicar and Linda had met Paul at Brisbane's Expo 88. Remember that? The song and that album came at a transformative time in their career. Listen out for the story about Michael Godinski and Warren Costello, indicative of their competitive and compassionate streaks. And I'll just say towards the end, Iggy Pop and Johnny Depp like wow. Vicar and Linda's new album is called The Weight and it's out now wherever you get your music. And don't forget to let a Vicar and Linda fan know about this podcast with them. Here's Vicar and Linda with me all in our separate houses during Melbourne's lockdown telling the story of their song 99 Years. We chose this song because it was one of the first songs we ever wrote with Paul Kelly. Very early on, like maybe 1992. Very early on in our careers, I remember Paul really tried to encourage us to write. He goes, you know, and he used to come around every week, like without fail, and we would have spend the whole day songwriting. And uh, he used to just make us, we'd just sit around and talk and tell stories he goes, oh, what's been happening in your life recently, girls? And I said, well, yeah, you know, there's this guy who's been hassling the crap out of me and keeps ringing me up and, you know, he's sending flowers. It's driving me crazy and, you know. So Paul goes, well, let's write a song about that. And I thought, you're joking. And he came up with the hook, uh, give me 99 years and thanks, I'll think it over. I thought, well, that's really clever <laughs> and kind of really cheeky. And we wrote the song and and for a little while there I didn't really like performing it that much but just recently I, I heard it again I thought, gee, why was I so hard on myself? I actually really like it and should be proud of the fact that we actually wrote a song because I didn't, I've never really considered myself a songwriter really. I'm just glad that Paul encouraged us and sort of forced us to, to give it a go. And I think I read that you were in his backyard drinking lots of beers when you were working on this song. Am I right? You're, you're exactly correct, Jane. <laughs> we needed a bit of courage, I think, because it's quite daunting writing with him. He's, he's not that way. He doesn't make you feel uncomfortable. He treats you as an absolute equal, which I love about him. But he is Paul Kelly. And he's, so you kind of like, we have to kind of park that for a second and just go, okay, I need a bit of encouragement from somebody who's so great, that's wonderful. But you, we, we did have a few beers to kind of like overcome our nerves. Yes, but he, he, he did encourage that. He goes, oh, for goodness sake, I'm going up the pub. And he went up the pub and came back with... <laughs> with one of every type. One of every type of beer in the bottle shop. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. We thought, God, we love working with you. 
So because it comes under this title of some of my best work, as you say, I mean, he makes you feel super at ease. He doesn't sort of have a chip on his shoulder about his songwriting abilities. He brings you into his backyard to work on a song. What did you learn from just sitting together and and coming up with a song? Is there anything you can tell us that that you recall from that time? What I remember about this song in particular and why I think it's one of our our favourite and like we consider probably one of our best songs we've written is because... Number one, it was early days. But the thing about it is he taught us how to take a really sort of normal concept, like Vicky was being harassed by a guy, and just turn it into something poetic, like how to flip those lyrics. So like, hold your horses, let me be. We would just say piss off, you know. Um, like, give me nine and nine years, thanks, I'll think it over. It's kind of like a polite way of saying, can you just go away, you know. And Vicky and I are probably quite blunt with our delivery as people anyway but he taught us how to kind of make it beautiful and that was a real eye-opener for me really early on. I found it incredibly tough and how patient he is and how he just he doesn't force it like he can just sit there for hours and not say anything and you go what on earth is he doing and why isn't he talking and then I realized okay very quickly I was thinking because Linda and I are not like that, you know, we're very sort of like a couple of bulls at a gate, you know, sort of. <laughs> and then it was patience, you know. He just sat yeah. there and let it come and it was like, wow. He wouldn't leave until he had the basic bones of the song and the lyrics pretty much 80% there. And that was something that surprised the hell out of me. It was like, can't we just come back to it tomorrow? But he knew that we won't, so he, he wanted to finish it. I also read that this wasn't just an ordinary fan. It was someone that followed you, well, wasn't it, Vicar, that from like the East Coast to the West Coast with gifts and all? Yeah, I, I, it was, yeah, it was pretty full on. It was like, wow, you know, you know, the chemistry wasn't there. It was just, just, yeah, it was too much. It was just way too much, you know. He was really wealthy and I think he just thought he could just sort of flash his money around and he could just follow him. And he had the wrong woman. And particularly, as you say, I mean, this was 92 when you wrote it, but it's not until much later when it's released. Is that right? Yeah, we released it on our debut album. That's right. So a few years later, right? Yeah, two or three three years later. Yeah. And then it also um, appears on Women at the Well compilation. That's correct. But what's really interesting about this song is I found it on a cassette the other day. I was digging around on the old cassettes looking at song ideas from 1991 that we'd sat around and developed with Paul and this song was on it and it's very similar to the way we ended up recording it. Yeah, it, it was it was beautiful, the, that dum da lum dum dum I don't know mm. who came up with I think Paul might have come up with that, did he? Paul or Joffa, I'm not sure, but I just think the basic bones of the song were already there and that sort of met, that reminded me of how hard he works in the demo, you know, in the writing phase because it didn't really change much from then on. So take us through memories of being in the studio and recording this song and can you recall being in the studio for the first time making that album and that song as well, recording it? Yes. It was a great time. Very green. <laughs> you can hear kind of the the uh, inexperience there, which I like now, you know. When you're a singer and especially singing for as long as we have been. I think we're better singers now, but when I go back and listen to the old stuff, I really enjoy listening to that kind of youth and just how sort of maybe we weren't the great greatest singers, but we we just sort of 
just sort of went in there and just gave it a go, you know, and and now I can hear that maybe I could have changed the way I sang it a little bit, like I could have been a bit more um, expressive or a bit more, you know, taken it in another direction. But then, you know, it is what it is. It's the way we recorded it at the time. And, and I was very young and so I, I think I, I sang it as honestly as I could. You know, we had a great band too. We had wonderful musicians that helped us put it together. I remember being incredibly nervous, Jane. I, I remember going in and thinking, oh, God, here we are. Bloody hell, we've got a record deal. We've already had a career with the Sorrows. Now it's out up to us and these songs are all written for us or, or by Australian songwriters. And I remember going, gosh, the pressure's on, feeling very nervous about the, it being our own project. But I also remember it being a really wonderful time because mum and dad would cook every time we would be in the studio and bring food in after every day. So we all loved being together and looking forward to having dinners after that, after every day and kind of bonded with Paul on a different level as a producer because he produced it and developing our own music for the first time and hearing it on tape was incredibly exciting. And as you say, I mean, for those listening to this too, you had just sort of ended a number of years with the Black Sorrows as well and then this is your foray into doing your thing. And hearing you now even say, God, listening to that, you it just feels so green. Maybe a little about how that album has then or still finds a way to influence what you do today and the approach to songwriting or maybe what Paul sort of parted with or, or showed you in that early part of your, you know, songwriting life, I guess. Well, I think that one thing that's taught us is that we worked quite well in the studio together, Vicar and I. We had a producing role because we've got firm ideas about our vocals, but we've gotten better at that. Like, Vicar's very good at going through vocal takes and picking what is the essence of the vocal performance and getting, you know, not nitpicking too much and just going, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a little bit wobbly, it makes me believe you. She's great at that. So producing vocals is a really strong point of Vickers and I think she sort of started to hone in on that skill in those days with Paul. They do that very well together. Being And just recently in the studio, because we're better singers, we can get a take in one or two takes much more quickly than we did in the past. And I think that's been interesting to watch. You know, we haven't given up. That, that, that skill of hers is, has really grown and Paul encouraged that. You know, he encouraged our opinion. He didn't just go, no, I think that's better. You should keep that. If we said no, it wouldn't go on the record. Sometimes we lost out, though. Sometimes he did overrule us. You know, it, that was his experience coming through and so we had to listen to that. That's the thing. When we, when we joined the Sorrows, we were very young and we were playing with very experienced musicians. So they taught us a lot very quickly. You know, we had great teachers. Being in that band and then getting to meet people like Paul Kelly and work with him you know th these people were just they've been in the business a long time and so Linda and I had a big leg up when we started well I don't think we realized when we how lucky we actually were I'm trying to imagine what it's like sitting in his backyard or writing I mean is are there notebooks did you keep anything from that time in terms of how you flesh out the songs and as you say it's it's one thing probably to be in your position now and reflect on that time but of course there would have been nerves and a, and a sense of, oh, shit, is this actually going to work, like working with Paul Kelly? Yeah, we didn't know. We didn't know. I mean, we had no idea. But the thing about, sorry to, be, to interrupt and talk over the top, is he likes his song a lot. 
He's the one that keeps going, are you doing 99 years? Is 99 years on your best of? Is blah, blah, nine 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 years, blah, 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 99 years. We kept going, why is he hung up on this song so much? You know, <laughs> I haven't actually asked him that question. But I kind of get why he likes it so much because it's it's kind of cool. It, to me, it's just straight to the heart of the matter and there's no fluff in it. And I remember he keeps a notebook. He always writes everything by hand. He's a real sort of stickler for that, and he also had a little cass- a little cassette recorder. So I remember that in the backyard going all the time, and that's why we've got kids and dogs and bloody school bells <laughs> all over the recordings. You know, that's what I remember. We were sitting in his backyard, and you know, I, it might have been Mary Jo's backyard. His sisters, the sun was shining, and we're just sitting kind of in on banana lounges and stuff. When he first came around, it was like. Okay, yeah, he'll be here for a couple of hours and then he'll be gone. But no, it was an all-day event. It was lunch and then lunch turned into dinner and it was just working on songs. And Declan was a little kid, his son, so there was lots of kids and I think maybe it was like a very organic kind of the bloody hills hoist in the backyard. And It reminded me of Tongans. It reminded, they reminded me of Tongans, the, the Kellys. Yeah. <laughs> Can you paint a bit of a picture of, of where you were at and in terms of then getting ready to, to make your debut as well? Is that something you, you wanted to do sooner? Was the timing just right then? Linda wanted to do it sooner. I wanted to do it sooner, but we were hanging out for our copyright to return to us, actually, in our record deal. When our record came out, when our debut album came out, it went really well. It went gold pretty much in a couple of weeks. But a head of another record company <laughs> said to Michael Gadinsky, who, en- who we ended up signing with, Mushroom Records, oh, you couldn't sort of, he sort of alluded to the fact that, oh, we couldn't do any better than gold. And Michael, being Michael, <laughs> God bless him, I remember hearing that he went, oh, really? Okay, I'll prove you wrong. So he came up with the idea of, repackaging that record with extra gospel songs, uh, he and, and Warren Costello, to give it a new lease of life. And then we released it as a repackage and then it went through the roof. It went, we sold it over, I think, 100,000 copies. That was an early example to me of what it's that sort of, what it's like to take on someone like him and the power that you have when he's in your corner. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, he said to me once, you know, you look around the MCG, Linda, that's how many records you've sold when it's full. And I just oh, thought, I wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was, oh, that's a really fond memory for me of the power of that record and how many people it's reached and yep. and also the combination of the artwork and everything just was so exciting. I, I loved working on that record. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the artwork too. And, I mean, did you have much of a say in terms of what you wanted it to look like on the album? Anything that you can remember from that as well? Linda had a very definite idea. It's a rock record, right? Essentially, I thought it was pretty much, you know, that way or kind of with country influences. But I wanted to have a Gauguin cover, our take on Gauguin. So I wanted it to be really colourful and I wanted it to reflect our Tongan heritage whilst being original. So I showed a photographer Gauguin painting, which was I thought the posing was really perfect for an album cover. 
And he photographed us and then a girl came in, Joe jo Alsop, and painted a backdrop and we sat in front of that again and he photographed in, us in front of it. Then they took the, the slide away and hand-painted it and that is the cover. It was quite involved. and Yeah, it's a beautiful cover. It's so beautiful. Thank you. It's quite amazing. Maybe coming back to that story of, of Michael Gudinski and, and a little about maybe meeting him for the first time or... Or just knowing that having someone like that on your side means so much in an industry like ours in Australia. Very intimidating. I was scared of him. <laughs> Me too. Because <laughs> he's very charismatic and very just sort of comes in and it's like, whoa, he's arrived type thing. You can feel his presence, you know, the minute he walks in. What I liked about um, Mushroom Records in the day was that there was a lot of women working in at the record mm. company. That was good for me and Linda. We liked that, you know, women behind the scenes. I think he's one of the first people to recognise from from a you know business point of view that he was okay with us stepping away from the sorrows. He he was fully supportive of us as solo artists. He didn't tell us to he wanted a soul record. He didn't make us be something we didn't want to be. He understood that we would that would take us a bit longer than other acts. And he was ready to wait. He was quite impressive. I, I, I liked his gentleness. Also, his his power, you know, he was very kind to us and very patient. Didn't, didn't ever push Vicar and I at all to be something that we didn't want to be. Didn't try to force that. And can I ask you both, I mean, I'm trying to imagine or remember really because I was there myself, but those that, that, that 90s time and, and what was happening musically, I mean, that was an era of like it was Nirvana and it was such a different sort of sound that was so big then. How did you sort of feel in terms of your place in music? And and as you say, I mean, this this was nominated for an aria. I mean, it did so well. A little about who it was resonating with and, and what it says about what audiences in our cities want from music. It was, wasn't it? I, it's funny, you, you sit back and think, I never really thought about it at the time. We weren't kind of in that grunge scene or anything. Like our thing was harmony. We concentrated on that. We didn't really care about what was groovy, what was fashionable. It was just that we wanted to be singers. And then having wonderful people like Paul trying to encourage us to songwrite as well. And I remember Nick Barker too. He used to try and force us to write. It's not our strength, i got to say. Well, it's not my strength. You know, Linda enjoys it more than I do. So managing to write a song like 99 Years and Grandpa's Song, Princess Taboo, The Parting Songs, that, that was all kind of, Paul pushing us. It was just our thing. It was just our sound. Yes, just trying to get that right, trying to get our harmony right because we knew that our strength was was that, was singing together. And I don't think we were chasing a quick career, Jane. I think we were always chasing – success to us was the singing, like Vicar said. It wasn't trying to be cool. And I actually was reading an old article in the first review of this record, I think it was in Rolling Stone, and it said it may not be cool – but it's really, it sure as hell is good. And I thought, well, that's great. That to me was a really good thing to say because I wanted it to be good. I didn't really care. I didn't want to be a total dag, but, you know, <laughs> we, <laughs> we wanted it to be good. And I'm so glad that, you know, I can still listen to it without cringing all the way through it. Well, even let, let's talk a little bit about those harmonies and singing together. And I guess all those years of, you know, singing with the sorrows and then sort of branching out and doing your own thing, 
what do you remember of, I, I guess, I don't know, listening to it, do you hear it and hear a very different version of yourself, a more rounded version now? I don't know. I guess I'm wondering how a singer assesses where they've been to how they got to where they are today and if they change in their style, if they notice that they didn't sound as confident as maybe they do now. I don't know. We notice it. I think, yeah, I, I would be devastated if I listened to it and thought I was much better then than I am now. <laughs> It's so true. Could I ask if you remember the first time you both met Paul? I got a photo of it. Yeah, your vicar's got a photo to prove it. We met at Expo 88, didn't we, Vic? Expo 88 in a Japanese restaurant in Brisbane. Those were the days when you could smoke in a restaurant. (laughs) and (laughs) So there's a photo of me holding a a ciggy and and eating with chopsticks in the oven. (laughs) Disgusting. Uh, oh, gosh, the good old days. We just stared at him like we, we stared. We were so shy uh, of him and I think just a bit starstruck that we didn't really speak. We just sat there smoking and drinking and, and staring at him. He must have thought we were kind of crazy. Um, we were just too shy to say anything really. I mean, we went up to Expo with the Sorrows. We were playing with the Black Sorrows. I think the Divinals were there. Chrissy, yeah. There was a lot of bands on and it was – I was thinking, what was it exactly, Expo 88? Was it like a – It was an expo and everyone was there. Everyone we spoke to was like, yeah, I remember it's like that. a world expo, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Technology, everything. I don't know what was going on. Obviously, we like Brisbane was way ahead of the ball, weren't they? They <laughs> certainly were. <laughs> I was actually in awe. I was walking around in a daze thinking, what the hell's going on, you know, and then, uh, you know, well, what is this? But really enjoying it and then ending up in this Japanese restaurant and there's Paul Kelly sitting at, at the sushi counter and Linda and I walked in and we're just like, oh, my God, it's Paul Kelly, and we just sort of <laughs> stared at him, you know, and then finally we got to talk to him and then our friendship just went from there and it's lasted this long. Yep. I've actually just had a look and so there were bands like Ice House, Little River Band, you guys like Joe Camelot and the Black Sorrows, John Farnham, Julie Anthony, like it was John English. Julio <laughs> Ingle- God, Julio Iglesias was there as well. John Denver have done it. in the- That's like pretty wild. What? Yeah, it, was, uh, it was crazy. <laughs> Good old 88. A lot was happening. <laughs> that is gold. After that, then we sang with uh, we sang backing vocals on Archie Roach's record because of Paul and Steve Connolly, and then we started writing together. So it was ninety one, ninety two. We started really writing every weekend, every every Thursday, I think it was. Um, it's a remarkable thing to think of now because there's no way we could nail him, nail Paul down for every a weekly writing session. <laughs> that just wouldn't happen, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And so then, even reflecting on the music that you make today and the latest album a little of what you take from that first record that's ever present in any, anything you've done since I'm not sure if that is the case or if a sentiment from that debut has filtered its way through everything you've done I think it's Australian I think it's the Australianness of the songs we've always really tried to focus on making sure that the the songs are written by Australians and it isn't like you know a uh, you know, football meat pies, kangaroos and holding cars sort of feel. It's just something about it is important to Vicar and I to have that thread through all our records and we've managed that. 
Is there anything you can share with those listening about the new album and, and working on the weight as well? And I know it is a, a very different time in the way that you probably approached records given the last two we've been in on and off lockdowns. I, it's a new it's a new kind of sound for us, I think. It's even though the whole album is written by Australian songwriters, it's it's a different kind of sound. I don't think people will expect what they hear, you know, because we are better singers, I think, and the songs are very it's very mixed. It's like we we sort of know what we want to say now. We've been singing for a long time. We tell a story much better. It's being tough, it's being soft, it's it's all sorts of things that you because we've lived life, you know, and you know, we don't always want to be tough and we don't always want to be a, like a wimp either. So I think the album kind of shows that I hope it does anyway and just that we are better singers. I think we're singing better than we ever have and I know, you know, people go, oh, you know, of course you're going to say that. But it's true. I think when you grow up and have lived a bit of life, you can tell a story much better. I also think it's like we work for, uh, we work, uh, we've always worked quickly, Jane. We've we don't like mucking around in the studio and if we can't really get it by the third or fourth take, then something's quite wrong and we're happy to work on that but we're, we're quite quick and that's sort of spontaneousness is something and playfulness is something that we've kept going, I think. And so now in terms of the songs themselves, because as you say, I mean, there's everyone from Chris Chaney, there's Bernard Fanning, Casey Chambers. Were they tasked with writing a song specific for you both? How did all that come about in terms of working with so many different songwriters too? Uh, yeah, I rang them. I rang them up, Jane, because they were written especially for us, yes. And this time, as, as different to the first album, the debut album, we basically, I rang them, the songwriters on the first album as well, with Bill Page, same same story. Bill Page helped us with this one. And basically... The first album, our debut, we just took the songs that they had written. But this one, I would sit down with them and say, we would like it to be this way. We would like this sort of storytelling or we would like this sort of style song and we wouldn't like this sort of style song. You know, I was much more direct and and I tried to steer the ship a little bit more in that direction because I wanted the song to work. And I didn't want to have that conversation where I asked a songwriter, can you write me a song, and we didn't use it, which did happen. But I think having a hand in, they would always say, well, what do you want to say? What do you want to write? What do you want to tell a story about? And so I'd have to sit down and be a little bit clear about that. And maybe even just finally coming back to this idea of some of my best work and the opportunities that came your way or just even some tours that you did that you look back on and go, wow, we did that and that all really happened after that first record that we made ourselves, you know, like as Vicar and Linda Bull. Why mad? Vic, would you say? Yeah, why mad? Yeah, we were chosen by Peter Gabriel, Jane, to, after we did Why Madelaide uh, with the debut album. That was our sort of first big festival that we'd done on our own and he picked us to go and do Why Mad internationally with him. And also to have a recording week with him where we got to spend time in his studio with Chad Blake and make an album and collaborate with Iggy Pop, who we did a duet with. And that was the immediate result of... How cool. ...our debut album. Yeah. Yeah. Can't just say Iggy Pop and then that's it, yeah. <laughs> Will you elaborate, Vic? 
we were playing at Reading. Linda walked off stage and there was Iggy Pop and Johnny Depp sitting in our dressing room. And Linda's like, what the hell? You know, and I think they were hiding from the crowd. But then they were cold yeah. and wet. <laughs> and then, then I came off stage and it goes, don't freak out, but Iggy Pop and Johnny Depp are sitting in the dressing room. And then we sort of just got to talking to them and, and Linda said, oh, look, you know, we've been asked, we have to collaborate with someone. Peter Gabriel wants us to, to work with other acts on the bill and we haven't really asked anyone yet. And he goes, well, I'll help you. And Linda said, you're kidding. He goes, nah, when do you want me there? And he turned up to the studio the next day right on time. We did um, I Know Where to Go to Feel Good. I think he did two takes. I don't think he did any more than that. He goes, I never sing more than one or two takes. So yeah. we, we didn't want to push it. And it was a, it was a fun day, lovely person. How great. What, what a great memory. And speaking of other people who I'm just thinking to come back to the song 99 Years, but Marianne Faithful also chose this song. Was she doing a show and co-hosting it with Warren Ellis? Is that my understanding? That's correct. Because Warren produced her last album and she was telling the story that she came to Australia when that album was out and went to a record store and bought it. That is her favourite song, 99 Years, being a standout track for her. And Vicar and I thought that was really interesting that both her and Paul Kelly loved that song. Like both of them, that's their favourite, you know. I thought that was really interesting. I want to hear her sing it. I love it if she'd mm. record that song. Mm. Me too. Yeah. That would be pretty wild. Yeah, I think she, she recovered from COVID. She was quite sick at one point there, but I'm, I'm glad that I think she's still okay. And crazy times, yeah. though. Yeah, I was following her on Twitter last year, kind of going, oh, no, not, not Marianne. I think she was in a coma. Yeah, I think she, she was quite sick. unwell. Yeah, she was, yeah. But that's so exciting. So have you ever met her or have you ever had the chance to kind of say, well, yeah, I would like you to sing this? Never. I followed her today on Facebook for the first I, – I don't normally yeah. do that, but yeah. I went, no, I want to meet her. I would love to ask her. Oh, at, at least we should send her a record. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, in these times we've got to just do it when you think it, I say. Exactly. But thank you both so much for taking part in some of my best work. It was so lovely to have you both on this episode talking about 99 years. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Jane. Years is some of Vicar and Linda's best work. Their new album is called The Wait. It's out now wherever you get your music. I'm your host, Jane Rocker. Get me on Twitter at jbirdrocker or Instagram at janerocker underscore. Plenty of great guests ahead on the podcast. Cram from Spiderbait, Ash Grunwald, Josh Pike, Pete Blackie Black from The Hard Ons, John Saffron and many more to come. Editing and production by Courtney Carthy at The Mushroom Group. Our theme song is written and performed by Mark D'Angelo from Backlot Studios. Artwork for the show courtesy of Mushroom Creative House. Our executive producer is Matt Gadinsky. Legal assistance from...